And I'm going to start with a, a scripture that has been speaking to me in recent weeks. And then we're going we're to flow with it. I like to flow with it really because that seems to be how God speaks to me with a scripture, one scripture that I just can't get out of my head. To other experiences, other scriptures, other stories through my life and the, and the Bible that start to connect up and explain and, and back up what God is saying to me. The scripture then, the scripture, it comes in the book of Acts and I can never, I can never just go to a scripture. It's got to fit. It's got to be placed. There has to be a, a build up to it so that I know what is happening, why it is saying what it is saying. And the book of Acts is incredible. It's incredible. It starts with Jesus being taken up to heaven. And then later on the day of Pentecost, the apostles are, are all together and they're waiting and the Holy Spirit comes and, and fills the house. It was an incredible encounter with God. And from there, the church starts out, thousands get saved, there are signs, there's wonders, there's, there's miracles. And it doesn't take long before the authorities get interested. And they come and they try and spoil the fun. They thought they'd finished Jesus off, seemed permanent crucifixion. But then the rumours started. An empty tomb, no sign of the body, and suddenly the, the followers of Jesus are more powerful than ever. That's right. And Peter and John, Peter and John, those disciples of, of Jesus were going to the temple. There was a crippled man begging for money, and it was inspired what Peter then said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The power was in the name. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Then, taking him by the hand, Peter helped the crippled man up. His feet, his ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. He was healed. And don't you want to see some of that? But then, but then the story turns the priests and the, the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John. They were disturbed by what had happened. The claims that Peter and John were making. That Jesus was alive, that the dead could be raised. They were seen as a, a threat and Peter and John were seized. They were put in jail. The next day, they faced the rulers, the elders and the teachers of the law in Jerusalem. The high priest and the high priest's family were there. And they began to question them and said, by what power or what name did you do this? It was like a, a red rag to a bull and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit gives them the good news about Jesus Christ. And you think, yeah, come on, Peter. <laughs> and now we're there. We're there, the, the scripture that I can't get out of my head. In Acts 4, verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, the high priests, they weren't expecting this. You can almost see the, the shock on their faces as they saw the, the courage in Peter and John making their stand, as they heard the conviction in their voices. But fishermen, fishermen, unschooled, ordinary men, no, it 
didn't seem possible. They were astonished at Peter and John and the difference. The only explanation for this, they took note that Peter and John had been with Jesus. The power was in the name and the influence of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So that, that is the one scripture that I can't get out of my head. Acts 4 verse 13. Now we're going to flow with it to other experiences, other scriptures, other stories through my life and the, the Bible as we work out what God is saying. One of the most amazing things, one of the most amazing things about being a, a parent is hearing and, and seeing yourself in your children. You know it's going to happen. It's, it's obvious. It's biological. I don't need an explanation that my son Jay, who is now 20 months, is going to look partly like me and partly like my wife Rach. But when you see it for yourself, it still amazes me. And that isn't the end of it. See, his personality is starting to show his sense of humour. He's a lot funnier than me, but I take the credit. <laughs> the, the expressions on his face, his outlook, even the way he stands at 20 months now, you can see it. And I can see myself in him. And that is scary. Was it nature? Something he was born with? Is it nurture? Something that is being caught or taught from me? I'm sure it's both. And it's there. He is like me. And that's the point, isn't it? As his parents, both me and Rach, are the two most influential people in Jay's life. Not sure what Jay thinks about that. And influence. Influence is important. It is incredibly important. And we're influenced constantly. Influenced by culture, by relationships, by the media, by the, the fashions, some of us, by the trends, by the fads, by our peer groups, but maybe most of all, by the people we do life with, the community of family and friends that we live with. And every waking hour of every day, we're being influenced or influencing. And I've realised over a, a long time now, influence can be a, a positive or a, a negative thing. And that is a decision that we make. In every conversation that I have, in every conversation that we have, it's possible to leave someone lifted or lowered. And the more people that look to us, the more influence our conversations carry, the more releasing and encouraging they can become. And the thing is, it isn't just what we say. It is who we are and who we're becoming, our character. There's an old saying, your character speaks so loudly that I can't hear your words. Your character speaks so loudly that I can't hear your words. We can speak it out here, but if our life, who we are, doesn't back it up, people see it, they know, they stop listening to us. Our influence comes to nothing. And there is something else here. Much of who we are doesn't come through great teaching, even though it is important and it can make a, a difference in our lives. No, much of who we are is caught and not taught. It's caught off the people we spend time with. It's caught off the people we trust and respect and want to follow. 
going back, going back to Peter and John. They spent three years with Jesus. From when he called them beside the, the Sea of Galilee to going on the road and walking in his dust, watching, listening, asking questions, learning from the master, to then being sent out to preach repentance, to drive out demons, to heal the sick and coming back, returning to Jesus with stories from their adventures of faith. And again, I can't get it out of my head. That one scripture in Acts 4 verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Facing the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, the high priest in Jerusalem, the influence of Jesus was there. Like a spiritual parent, like a father to them, he had invested, given his life into them, loved them, cared for them, supported, encouraged, challenged, released them, watched them fail and called them back. Nature or nurture, caught or taught, standing there, it was as if Jesus, as if the father was speaking through Peter and John. Another story, another story flows out of this and it's a story I read some time ago. It's a strange one, it's very National Geographic and you may not get the connection at first, but for me, it's speaking again. The story was reported in the Washington Post and it goes like this. Out in South Africa, in a game preserve called Pillenersburg Park, they keep white rhinos an endangered species. And they were distressed when they found 39 of these rhinos dead. 39 of these rhinos dead, killed in their native habitat. They assumed it was poachers. But looking more closely, they realized that the rhino's horns were still there. And if it had been poachers, these horns would have been removed. There must be another explanation. And in an effort to, to catch the killers, the game warners tranquilized some of the remaining rhinos. They tagged them and they tracked them. They set up hidden video cameras in strategic locations to record the evidence. And the game wardens were amazed to discover that young bull elephants were harassing the rhinos without provocation, which was totally unnatural for them. These young bull elephants were chasing the white rhinos for long distances, throwing sticks at them and stomping on them. Shocking, really. And the wardens were left wondering, why? Why was this happening? Why were these young bull elephants acting so violently? And the answer was found in a decision made 20 years earlier. Because the Kruger National Park was unable to support its increasing populations of elephants, park officials had transported some of them to the Pilanesburg Preserve. Elephants too large to transport were left out. This included a significant number of mature bull elephants. As a result, the elephants guilty of killing the rhinos had matured without the influence and presence of mature males mature parents and park rangers and scientists discovered that without the presence of mature bulls the young male elephants were becoming increasingly violent to stop the problem park rangers imported older bull elephants and then watched their influence 
the bullying stopped. The young bulls followed the older ones. They even seemed to start enjoying the new relationship and return to their natural patterns of behavior. There were no further reports of any dead rhinos. Now, I don't know if you've made the connection with this, but I can't leave a story like that alone. It speaks to me. Maybe that's God. Maybe that's my passion, but it speaks, and I can connect it, and I'm challenged to to get involved, not with rhinos and elephants, but with people, involved with people, because I believe every generation has a responsibility, a responsibility to learn, to be shaped, to follow and respect the leadership and the faith of the generations that have gone before. And a responsibility to inspire and to lead and to release the generations that are following behind. If a generation, if a generation as happened with the elephants is removed, or what really happens? Fails to speak, fails to disciple, fails to pass on the faith, then the next generation suffers. And this isn't about age. This isn't about having physical children. This is about being responsible in our generation to be passionate and a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Just recently, while I'm talking about there, I've seen it happening here and I want to tell you about it. I spoke to the the three people that it involves and they're fine with this, but I'm only using their first names just to keep you wondering who they are. Firstly, I want to introduce the people to you. This Simon. Simon, he came to this church a, a number of years ago, arrived out of a really damaging situation. He made a commitment of faith and started to grow. Then there's Matt. He came to this church more recently, started doing the Explore course. He made a commitment of faith and started to grow. Then there is Bernard. He came to this church long before I was born. That's a joke. I think there is only one bird in this church, so it kind of narrows it down. Let's just say Bernard, he's seen it all. And I've known Bernard for a, for a long time. We run a course here called the Freedom in Christ course. You may have done it. It's powerful. It's releasing. And me and Bernard have, along with the team, been running Freedom for a, a number of years now. And we've talked and we've, we've prayed together. Bernard also used to be an elder here. He's now an old elder, which is a a group of old elders, original name. Now Simon, Simon, he's been growing in his faith. And when we started a group called The Forge for younger men to give direction and discipleship, he got involved. I thought it would be great, great to put these old elders together with The Forge, these younger men, and, and just see what happens. So the two groups met together. And it was an inspiring evening as we listened and and learned from their experiences. Connections were made and more recently Simon got involved leading Freedom in Christ alongside Bernard. And then he gave Bernard a call and said, I want to get some time with you, Bernard. I want to be inspired. I want to pray with you. And that's what happened. And then there's Matt wanting to keep his faith growing. He joined the last Freedom in Christ course and being together on that course, one leading it, the other learning from it, Simon and Matt started talking. Trust and and respect and friendship came. 
Soon Matt decided that it was time to get baptised. He asked Simon to baptise him. And down there, down there, standing in the water, you could see it, you could hear it. Matt declaring his faith, Simon standing alongside of me and Bernard out here with the church, watching, proud to have been involved in their lives and in their faith. And the generations spiritually are linked up. Bernard to Simon to Matt. And this is family life in a faith community where experience and faith is passed on through relationships of trust and respect. Part of it. Part of it is people being in a room together. The other part is down to us as individuals. Our desire to want to do life and faith together as family. And you think, you think what's next? And over time, everyone keeps growing. Matt starts speaking into other people's lives, inspiring them with the faith. Simon starts leading and influencing larger groups of people. And Bernard, he remains the spiritual parent, the granddaddy, strong and safe. This is church. From making a commitment of faith to wanting to grow, to becoming a disciple, to speaking into other people's lives, to leading and influencing, to becoming a a spiritual parent, this is being responsible in our generation. And there's two final stories, two final stories that I want to use here that flow out of this. They come in the Old Testament. They're about the God of the, the generations and what we pass on. The first starts in Genesis chapter 12, where you get the, the call of Abraham, and the story continues on. Then in Genesis chapter 21, you get the birth of Isaac, Abraham's son, and the, the story continues on. Then in Genesis chapter 25, you get the death of Abraham, and you get the birth of Jacob, Isaac's son, and the story continues on. In Genesis chapter 35, you get the death of Isaac. In Genesis chapter 49, you get the death of Jacob, and the story continues on. Then in Exodus chapter 2, you get the birth of Moses, and in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am remembered from generation to generation. And it's that, that simple reading. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Our God is a a generational God and the story continues on. And I've realized we can connect the generations. The story can continue on. The only caution is we reach an age where wearing ripped jeans and beads doesn't earn us the right to speak. But again, I can't get it out of my head. That one scripture in Acts 4 verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What earns us the right the right and the the relevance to speak to the generations is the courage and the conviction that comes from being with Jesus. The second story, the second story out of the Old Testament comes in 2 Kings 2. 
And it sees Elijah. Elijah, the old prophet, now battle-weary but still defiant, about to be taken up to heaven. And Elisha, Elisha, his young protege, uh, alongside him. And there's this strange, this strange dance going on. Starts with Elijah and Elisha on their way from Gilgal to Bethel. Strangely, Elijah told Elisha to hold back, not to follow him. But Elisha refused. He said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And the same exchange happens three times. From Gilgal to Bethel, from Bethel to Jericho, from Jericho to the banks of the river Jordan. Then finally, finally a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And when our time comes, that's the way to go. And again, again I want to go for the the simple reading. And it goes like this. Elijah had something that Elisha wanted. And in 2 Kings 2 verses 13 to 15 it says, He, that is Elisha, Elisha picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. That water divided to the right and to the left and Elisha crossed over. Something was passed on from Elijah to Elisha. There was power wrapped up in Elijah's cloak. But it was so much more than that. And I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's wrong to look at those who are ahead. Ahead in their following of Jesus. Ahead in their faith. Ahead in their leading and serving. Ahead in their prayer and devotional life. Ahead in how they parent their children, ahead in how they work out their finances, ahead in their encouraging, ahead in their compassion, ahead in their knowledge and understanding of the Bible, ahead in their generosity and humour and say, I want what you've got and I'm not going to let you out of my sight until I've learnt from you. Someone once said, when you're through learning, you're through When you're through learning, you're through. The people who are ahead in their following of Jesus, their lives are examples, they're influencers. And often they're just waiting to be asked. They want to give it back, the experiences, the stories. And this is where it gets spiritual. The cloak, like Elijah's cloak, gets passed on. And the thing is, And this is where we're going to come back to the New Testament and the finish. The thing is, if this is coming from God, it's God that gets all the credit. Right into the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 3 verses 5 to 9, Paul says this. He says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose and each will be rewarded according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. This scripture is about division in the church, different people claiming to follow different leaders. 
But more than that, this scripture is about involvement. Saying that we're all servants doing God's will. And we failed. We failed if it's only about positive thinking. And we failed if it's only about influencing people to be like us. It's not about me. It's not about Simon or Matt or Bernard or any individual here. We're God's fellow workers. We're all God's fellow workers. We're not here to put people onto us. We're here to put people onto Jesus. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, when he baptized Jesus, he said, He, that is Jesus. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. And that is another scripture. That for a long time now, I've not been able to get out of my head. And there is, there is a final challenge here for me. And I think it is a challenge for all of us. When I speak and act, when we speak and act, is it with courage and conviction in our faith? And do people watching and listening to us, do they, like with Peter and John in the book of Acts, do people watching and listening to us, do they take note and say, these believers here, they have been with Jesus. That's the challenge. Let's pray. Let's pray together.